This is Bibliovile, a podcast where a man and his wife, a woman and her husband, get each other the worst books they can find from their local library. For this episode of Bibliovile, I read The Hidden Family by Charles Strauss, and Nick read Harmony by Jane Ann Krentz, writing as Jane Castle. Welcome <laughs> to Bibliovile. Welcome to Bibliovile. Welcome to Bibliovile. I like that Mick gets really angry when I do that. Welcome. So I'm going to do it all the time now. No. Okay, just this one time. Well, Welcome you, to Bibliovile. You did it the last time. Welcome to Bibliovile. The terrible book exchange podcast wherein a wife and her husband get each other the worst books that they can find. We're back at our local libraries. We are. We went to the library. We picked out books for each other. We didn't receive them as Christmas presents. Or wedding gifts. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that was a very angelic compu- noise your computer just made. It was. Made. I don't know how to turn a it blong. off. Like that. Well, you have that's it at 100. All the way, that's all the way well, up. Well, okay. somebody was watching The Bachelor let's, let's... as loud as they could. Okay, but it was a really good episode and Corinne got sent home. It was devastating. Right. Sure. Um, Speaking of devastating and the end of an episode, uh, we are catching up to, I think it originally aired in 2015, the end of Parks and Rec. We watched the finale last night. And we were Parks and Rec. Oh my goodness. How many times did I cry in the final? How many times did I cry in the final season? Many. Many times. I don't know. Less than before. Those unless, first couple episodes, I don't know. those got me. Unless you cried secretly to the side, mm. I didn't see it as much because you were you were always much more of a Leslie and Ben are making it kind of girl. Yeah, that's such a good show though. And it's the a very end, good show. I love my favorite part of the end was uh, Jerry slash Gary slash Larry's future. Yeah. He just, like, he lives to be 100, and he's the mayor a whole bunch of times, and, and his has, wife never ages. Yeah, and he just has, like, a great family, and he's just really satisfied and happy all the time. I looked at Susan after that aired, and go, I went, I want that to be my future. Yeah. That's exactly the future I want. It was awesome. I know. It was my so fantastic. Future. My favorite future is Craig's future, wherein mm-hmm. he marries Typhoon, and he asks Typhoon if he had any regrets, and Typhoon goes, none. How about you? He said, are you kidding me? Thousands. Most recently, this trout. Was, <laughs> that was pretty great. I love um, I do have a very important question to ask you, though. Yes? Which one is president, Leslie or Ben? Leslie. Okay. Also, it's never confirmed that they're president. They may just be a high-ranking mm, senator. No, she's the president. Then, well. She's the president. I just need to believe in my heart that she's the president, okay? Okie dokie. I need it. I need it. But anyway... Uh, back to our regularly scheduled programming. We went to the library. We did actually go to the library for the first time in a while. Mick started playing Pokemon Go again, so it gave me an excuse to walk around the Ped Mall, but it was raining. Stupid weather. Uh, we picked up some gloriously terrible books. Uh, you know, maybe not. Maybe not gloriously terrible? Maybe not gloriously terrible. Well, then, you know what that hints to me is that you need to go first, Mist. Hidden Family by Ross. Yeah, I read The Hidden Family by Charles Strauss. That Charles Strauss? Apparently, that Charles Strauss. So, I thought this book was going to be real bad because there's a woman in a trench coat. 
on the front, and then the back of the book, the description contains the phrase, Miriam, a hip tech journalist from Ugh. Boston, Ugh. discovered her alternate world relatives Ugh. with explosive results that I'm shook so- three worlds. I'm sorry, you're telling me that this book is not terrible, is the, is the vibe I'm getting from you. So I think that my calibration system for what terrible is is significantly off from normal people's because in yes. comparison to that's good news for me other bibliophile books, it's not terrible. Hmm. I think like if you compared it to books, it's not great. <laughs> you know, but books. like bibliophile books is pretty good. I mm. was uh, I I it. did not know what to expect because I started reading this book when we were in Madison. Um, we went to see loyal listener Michelle Johnson and disloyal listener Matt Lauer. And oh, what did we happen to run into? We happened to run into loyal listener Dave Ludke. Hi, hey, Dave. Dave. Hi, Dave. And we decided that since we had our books in our suitcase and Dave was there, that we should show Dave before the episode the books that we were reading. I didn't agree to this. I had had a lot of champagne, and so I didn't really care that Mick didn't agree to this. So I ran upstairs and got the books. And Dave took one look at my book and said, oh, is this like, like the Charles Strauss? I'm like, I hope not. Actually, I hope so, because that means this might be a good book for once. So the next morning when I was slightly soberer, um, I decided to, to give it a shot and try to read the first couple pages. And I made it to page four or five and was like, I don't think I can do this. This book seems incredibly indecipherable, and I was very frustrated, and so I put it away for, like, six days and didn't read it, and then I read the entire thing in one day this weekend. And it was... A book. It was okay. It was all right. It, it really was. It was fairly well-written. There were a couple of things that I wasn't crazy about with regards to the writing, hmm. um, but, like, it's a pretty good book. The premise is interesting. The characters are good. The pacing is decent. The writing's good. I think the biggest thing that I struggled with was that I had no idea what the hell was going on because I started in book two. Oh, nice. I've done it again. And it felt like... Dickinson, you genius. So I feel like there's a couple different kinds of starting in the middle of the series. There's the kind of starting in the middle of the series that you get with a book like Crimson Veil where so much (laughs) bonkers shit has happened. What's that? We're doing sequels episode next episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I need to be thinking here what sequel I'm going to get you. So when I read Crimson Veil, I was completely baffled because I had no idea what was happening. And so much crazy stuff goes on in that book that I just felt really lost and it was also all insane. This was a very different kind of of coming in the middle. It felt like... (laughs) Aw, gross. So, Mick, do you remember in college when I went to Spain? Yes, I it, I seem to recall <laughs> yes. the six months in which you were not in the country. So, so when I was in Spain, I, like, I felt like I spoke pretty decent Spanish when I went over there. And then I got to Spain and realized that maybe I didn't speak the best Spanish ever. But one of the classes that I took when I was at the university um, was a Spanish literature class. And for someone who is still perfecting their use of the language, and I use the word perfecting very loosely, um, taking a Spanish literature class in at the college level 
is pretty terrifying. That'd be a bad idea. It's and like, so, yeah. I one time had a, an exchange student when I went to high school who took chemistry and physics. Oh, that's Ugh. too much. Yeah. But so, like, I, I remember one of the, the books that we read, we read an excerpt of Don Quixote in in my Spanish literature class. And I remember... You mean Don Quixto? <laughs> yep, that one. And I remember reading passages from it and thinking to myself, I understand the definition of all of these words, but when I read them together, they don't make any sense at all. And that's kind of how I felt when I read this book. Really? Like, I knew, I know what the words mean, but everything is taken so out of context. Like, it would be like starting The Lord of the Rings with the second book and there's this whole world that's going on and this whole plot that's been set in motion uh, that you don't know anything about. I'm going to know exactly how you feel when I read my book. Yeah. Or talk about my book. It's very similar to that. Yeah. I hate when it's like, this sentence made sense and that sentence made sense. But yeah. this paragraph does not make sense. And in this case, which Yahoo, is different serious. than a lot of uh, a lot of other Bibliobio books that we've read, it wasn't because the writing was bad. It was just because I was completely oblivious to what had happened in the first book mm. and i was still trying to catch up a lot well, why didn't you read plot. the first book then because i don't know how to read two books and i didn't want to do that and my silly goofy goober husband got me the second book in a series Yay. for the 19th time he's awesome so the general premise of this book is actually pretty cool so there are world walkers so there are three different worlds three different universes and there are some people who are able to walk from one world to the other. It's so like, I mean, think about like Chronicles of Narnia and, and, and books like that where there are different worlds you can mm. walk back and forth between them. Fairly similar, you know, fairly common fantasy trope. book trope, I suppose. Um, but this one is kind of cool because a lot, of, you get the vibe that the worlds all started the same, but things happen differently throughout the history of each one. So like the where they currently are is different. So like have you ever heard of the the movie or not the movie, the TV show um Man in the High Castle? Yes. About like what would have happened if we had lost World War II? Yep. So it's kind of like that. So world number 2 is our world. <laughs> what a bunch of crap. World number 3 the hist our histories lined up pretty much exactly until the six the 16 or 1700s. And there were a couple different wars in Europe that turned out differently. And so in world number three, there's no Great Britain. It's just England. And As in like there's no Ireland and Scotland? Y- well, or... fr- Ireland and Scotland are under French control. Huh. And then um, England still has control over the United States. There is no United States. Like we didn't, there was no Revolutionary War. There was no Declaration of Independence. And so New York is called New London, and there is a Boston, but it's way different, and they have some of the same technology that we have, but other technology is really different. So it gets, it's a pretty cool premise. But it doesn't hold up under any scrutiny. Because if, if Great Britain was vastly weakened through French warfare, how would they manage to hold on to the United States easier than know. the most powerful... Whatever. <laughs> So I suppose if you hold it up to historical scrutiny, it doesn't stand well, out. Well, I also but... have a, I, I also enjoy, like, if you were to invite a person into this fictional universe and you'd be like, okay, so there's these worlds and there's the history is similar but different in each one leading to all these alternate 
realities and kind of mirrors of our own. And this person might go, oh, wow, do you mean there's like unending multiverse of different sorts of every in every coin flip, there's two universes born. Nope, there's three. <laughs> there are three worlds. Yeah. That is it. There Just are three the, different options of things to happen. <laughs> pretty much. Um, but so the main character, whose name is Miriam, she... Hooks up with a guy named Webster. <laughs> um, she is. She was adopted, and her birth family is one of the six families in the clan. Capital oh, letters on the clan. And the clan are the world walkers, and they make all their money by trading between the worlds even though no one else knows that the multiple worlds exist and all this stuff and um there's assassination attempts and she's trying she's the only one from the clan that can um that can find her way into world number three and so she's trying to earn all this money and there's a whole bunch of stuff i'm not go ahead what's in world number one what's behind door number one um that's the world where the clan lives like Mississippi? No, clan with a C. <laughs> That's in our world. That's world oh, yeah. number two. Especially number two for that one. Um, so what? It's just like Earth, but six families? No, like there are other people that live there too, but that's the world that the clan is in control of. I must not be doing a very good job of explaining it because it wasn't that bad and you're looking at me like I just read no, an but, insane book. But I mean like... It, the so world number one uh-huh. is on top. That is where the clan lives. Yes, they are the ones who are able to move between one, two, and sometimes three. No, they can't. They don't know of the existence of world number three. Okay. Only Miriam does. So there might be okay. <laughs> and then there was a a civil war between the six families in the clan, and then. The sixth family disappeared. No, the clan comes after the Civil War. Oh, <laughs> I don't like that. Um, do you want to know how the book started, though? I mean, there's all this political and economic intrigue. There are fight scenes, all this stuff. Do you want to know how the book started? Take um, one guess. Uh, Lost Puppy. No, the book started um, in the, the room where the king, who we never hear anything about ever again throughout the whole book, the king is surrounded by his advisors. They're talking about how there's unrest amongst the peasants and they're afraid of an uprising later in the spring. We never hear anything about that again. And then we, the king sneezes. That's it? That's how the book starts. That's the first scene in the book. The king sneezes. Well, he's obviously got a major disease because that's a sign of... Anytime you see somebody sneeze in the movies. Mm-hmm. Was it from world number three, as in like the king of England? Um... I don't know because he's never referenced again, nor are any of the other people that he talks about. Ah. Yep. Oh. A, a king that we don't care about sneezes, and that's how we start our book. I don't care about any kings. Um, I'll fight a king. It, it really, I mean, like, it got a lot better from there. <laughs> the dialogue, the dialogue can be kind of gross. And especially when, like, two female characters are talking to each other, the author was clearly not comfortable with writing woman-to-woman dialogue. It, it included the phrase, shut up, a lot, with multiple exclamation points. Well, she's a points. hip tech journalist. And oh, multiple everyone exc- uses the word babe. Gross. Um, uh, g- gross. Uh, multiple exclamation points? Yeah. Gr- shut up, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. 
No. <laughs> yeah. This. That's how women talk, Mac. Don't you know? They talk with multiple exclamation points. Mm-hmm. If this is a Charles Strauss, famous enough to be the Charles Strauss, mm-hmm. how does, like, the most punctuation you ever need to use is three periods in a row. And the second most is a question mark, exclamation point, duo of and the third a talking most is cat. Three exclamation points. No, that would be one more than the last one. <laughs> um, another phrase that I thought was particularly gross was like several times he says, you're a babe, babe. No. Why do we need to use the word babe so many times? Was he share? And then or there are sunny. a lot of fist bumps for no apparent reason. Um, my only thought about the fist bumps was if that was supposed to be demonstrating how hip Miriam is. Like, she's a hip tech journalist. Yeah, and, babe. And, you know, she fist bumps all her babes because she's so hip. Don't fist bump babes. It's bad for them. <laughs> I know you might feel frustrated, but don't fist bump your babes. I get it. I get it. Um, it I was I was babe. really thankful that it was such a quick read because I put off reading this until Friday this night morning. or Saturday. Yeah. And then I just cranked it all out on Sunday. I read the whole thing, except for the final maybe 50 pages, and I read those all this morning. So I was thankful that it wasn't worse than it was, because I don't know if I could have finished it if it was. Mm-hmm. Procrastinator. Yeah. Bless you. Thank you. Procrastinator. Ah. There were some pretty crazy plot twists. Um, the whole thing about Miriam being adopted is a lie. Uh, her foster mother is actually her biological mother who just lied to her her whole life and told her that she was adopted when she wasn't. Why? Because her real mother is part of the clan and she she wanted to... real mother. Yeah. So the mother is part of the clan and she wanted to keep Miriam out of that life. So So they lied and told her she was adopted. Um, Why just... We figure out that the civil war that's being waged between the other five families and the sixth family has been waged for no reason, like basically because of a mistake. Um, One of the assassination attempts that was made on Miriam was by her grandmother, who thought her mother had been dead all these years and wanted to get rid of Miriam to get control of Miriam's mother's shares. And I think she means by that, like, control of the company or like there's a company the now the well the clan is the, kind of a the company. clan's a corporation well the third book is called the clan corporate i what you say that this book isn't that bad but you're summarizing it makes it <laughs> sound like the worst book i've we've read in a while <laughs> i mean i think maybe i'm just really desensitized to everything i think if you picked this book up it would like just crumble to dust like something out of an indiana jones movie maybe but like there's no there's no twin sisters that are married to love interest and that seems actually more no plausible dead people. that seems more pl- both of those seem more plausible than an adopt a real mother telling her daughter that she's adopted so that she doesn't take after her yeah that does no um, they do that that really fun thing that's, I think, kind of a common bibliophile trope where they talk a lot about technology to try to make their books seem Ooh, hip. like a Motorola Razor. Yeah, and Miriam is going to be bringing clan commerce into the future using cutting-edge technology called e-commerce. Wowzers. Or online commerce. 
That's how surprised I was to hear that. Yeah. She also um, references a lot of outdated technology like Encarta. She's really excited about Encarta. The encyclopedia that comes on CDs? <laughs> yep. She is super into Encarta. When was this published? Um, I don't know. Check. Okay. Um, and then also uh, CD-ROMs. She's really into CD-ROMs. Is World One floppy disk? Is World One fifty? This was copied in copyright in two thousand five. Does it take place before then? Is well, World War One nineteen or is World One nineteen ninety seven? World World One is like the Middle Ages. <laughs> yeah, and then World Two is our world. And then World 3 is like a weird combination of the two. So we're kicking the other two worlds' ass. We're future world. Yeah. Are Is World 1 like magic world? No, there's no magic there. It's just well, like the middle They ages. walk between worlds. That's pretty well, magical. But there's not like wizards or anything. There is one really interesting conversation that I appreciated a lot. So there's a character who lives in world number 3. And Miriam is thinking about, like, she's talking about how she plans to make a lot of money by introducing patents for new technology into World 3. And she's going to make a lot of money by selling all these futuristic things that she's bringing over from World Number 2. That's a villain plan. And she has a bunch of... She has a, a conversation with Brilliana, who's <laughs> the character Is from... she very smart? Yes. Does she scrub dishes? No. Um, Brillo pad. Um, yes, thank you. But she, they like have a conversation about how like, is this okay with you? Am I going to be destroying the culture of your world by bringing all these things in? Like, is this me saying that my world is better? So I need to bring all this stuff over so that you can have it. And Brillo's like, nah, dog, people die. And my entire family shares a one-room house and we don't have anything. Bring this over. This is going to make the world better. Please bring us this capitalism of which you speak. So, like, that was one interesting conversation that they had. Um, I, I, there were a couple of things that I wanted to point out that were some good bibliovile tropes that shifters. I Shifters. There were no shifters. What? That would have been... Can this be bibliovile? That would have been crazy. Um, so the whole, like complicated adopted and biological family thing i feel like is kind of a bibliobile trope oh, sure. there are a lot of adopted like um nikki sticks who was adopted and then has a twin sister it's my favorite thing to reference um the fact that there is a character whose name is brilliana who goes by brill i feel like that's pretty classic with a y? Bibliobile. no it's with an i um oh. but she's also like She's this lady-in-waiting character who's made out to be a little bit ditzy at the beginning, but then it turns out that she's, like, a trained Marine, and she's really good with, like, guns and fighting. Um, so there's still like the Marines in this, the world number three? Um, I suppose. The Boston Marines? I suppose. Her Royal Majesty Marines? Another thing that I really liked, and I think this is a good bibliophile trope that I really like, is that one of the characters, it's Miriam's mother, um, has a disability. She has multiple sclerosis and she's in a wheelchair. And they just, like, have a character with a disability without, like, making it a thing. You know, like, we've had some, like, low-impact gay characters or oh, lesbian sure. characters. And we're always like, hey, that's cool. Like, it's, it's cool that you just, you're not trying to make a whole big deal out of having diverse characters. You're just having diverse characters because... People, people are diverse, yeah. yeah. 
So I liked that. I felt like that was a good bibliophile trope. Um, the love interest is killed in a showdown, and the main character doesn't really seem to care a whole lot. That's, that's some solid bibliophile right there. And then, do you remember, I cannot for the life of me remember what it was called, but you read a book a few episodes ago where the main character was, she was a reporter and she worked for a newspaper that was yeah. owned by an Black, Australian man. The, yeah, Mockingbird. Blackbird's sister's mystery. Yeah, and she, the the newspaper that she worked for was the Philadelphia Intelligencer. Yeah, the Philadelphia Intelligencer. So the, the newspaper in world number three is the London Intelligencer, which makes me think that that's like a thing. That's nope. like a real word. Nope. No, but and maybe it nah. is. But if it, it's happening like twice, mm. what are the odds that it's World Three? <laughs> Not like us in World Two here. The Fighting Mongooses. Um, yeah. So I feel like when I started talking about it, I realized how insane this book was. Yeah, you got the wool pulled over your eyes from sheer speed. At the time, I was like, "All right, this is fine." So, I mean, it was rough to, to start in the middle of this series, but, like, the writing was a lot better than I'm accustomed to. The plot was pretty crazy, but, I don't know. It was it was a lot easier to stomach than the Grimrose Path. Well, yeah. So, it's like, I feel the, pretty okay about it. It sounds to me like you just raced Yoshi's, what is it, the Yoshi Badlands or whatever from Mario Kart? Yes, something like that. Something like that. And you just raced it, and to you it seemed like you're on one path. But I'm sitting here looking at the entire map, and I'm just, I'm just plain dumb confused. Yeah. That's all. Like, all those twists and turns for little to no reason or recourse, mixed with those. What were they supposed to be? Hedgehogs? What are those little spiny things? I hate those things. Why are they even there? They're porcupines. Porcupines don't live in the desert. Yeah, they do. No, they live in the forest. No, hedgehogs live in the forest. No, they live in England. Armadillos live in the desert. So do porcupines. Nope. Yeah, they do. They live in, like, the green forest. No, I don't think that's true. Okay, well, it is. So, how is your book that I got for you? How were your books that I got for My you? My books, collected under the name Harmony by Jane Castle, which is, of course, the nom de plume of Jane Ann Krentz. I know that. Because her name, both names are on the book. Why do you have a nom de plume if you're going to put both of your names, if you're going to put both of your names on the book, why are you going to have a nom de plume? I don't know. Nom de too soon, more like, because I found but out like, too what's soon. What's the point? I thought the whole point of having a pen name was that... Excuse me. Nom de plume. A nom de plume. Was it you didn't, want, you didn't want people to know your real name? Yeah, so you could and have that. Put both on that. So you could have that certain je ne sais quoi. That joie de vivre. Je m'appelle. Menage à toi. Rosé. Voulez-vous coucher avec moi? Pinot Noir. Chardonnay. Bourguignon Blanc. Champs Élysées. Chateau Marmont. The Louvre. You can't say the Louvre. What? Mona Lisa. What's you that French? You, you, you can't say the Louvre. The Louvre. The Louvre. The Louvre. 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 
Oh, that's why they called them frogs. Herbit. Yeah. Anyway, Jane Ann Krantz, writing as Jane Castle for Harmony, is actually one full quote-unquote book, and then one novella that it spans like 50 pages, so it's barely a short story. Was there like a point to the novella at all, or was it? did it it's, feel like just a weird yeah, thing that she threw in there? It, it is actually earlier than the book. It was written earlier than the book, uh, and it takes place in the same world. Oh, she also has a To the Reader letter but the the novella takes place in the same world the same crazy absolute nonsense world but it was actually written several years earlier hmm so i don't know what so that's do you about. feel like it's just a thing that she wrote that she wanted to get published and so she just... tacked it onto her other one yeah i don't know um but this is her her dear reader uh letter which i'm not sure is an actual thing Apparently it is, because you're reading it. Uh, oh, I mean like a common thing. Oh. Dear reader, so you think you'd like to pursue an exciting career in para-archaeology? Explore the eerie ruins of the dead city of Old Cadence? Maybe indulge in a discreet affair with one of those sexy ghost hunters hired to protect you while you work? Think again. Well, that's just the dang plot of the book, y'all. Sure, it sounds exciting, but let me tell you, it isn't easy It isn't easy dodging energy ghosts down here in the glowing green passageways of an alien world. This is a high-stress job, and okay, so it's true what they say about those hunters. They are pretty amazing in bed, and they certainly are handy to have around when things get dicey underground. But let's face it, like, it just goes on. So, she just summarized the book. So, is there really any point in reading it now? Well, unfortunately, I had to. And also... This doesn't take place from the perspective of Jane Castle. So I don't know why she's writing like as her main character. Like she's getting her characters confused, I guess. Hmm. Yours very truly, Jane and Krentz writing as Jane Castle. I don't know. Is Jane Castle like the main character in the book? Nope. It's just her pen name. Wait. I don't think it is. No, Lydia is the main character. <gasps> I was going to say. Woo, you so, don't know who the main character of your book is. Then it's a pretty bad book. So, uh... We actually open with quite the bang. This book, all in all, would not be so terrible if either Lydia Ann Krantz or, or, I'm sorry, Jane Ann Krantz or Jane Castle were writing it. It might not be so terrible because this book takes everything, puts it in a neat order, and then promptly trips on its own dick. It's incredibly or incredible how bad this book can take good ideas and mess them up. Because it does a pretty good hard sci-fi job. Like, it's not hard sci-fi, by any means. But it does a pretty good sci-fi job of, like, dropping you into the world and be like, there, you go, figure it out. Mm -hmm. And at first, that kind of threw me for a loop. Like, there's ghosts, and you're not really sure if it's the future or the sci-fi. There's psychics, and there's, like, all sorts of resonance energy. And it, it didn't feel like it was the first book. It felt like the author had a very much an idea of what this world looked like and was just... Is our main character, like, a psychic or a ghost? Our main character actually has a title. Lydia was one of those people. In technical terms, she was an ephemeral energy para-resonator. Oh, one of those. The entire book is like that. It's just, it's drummed up in fake lingo to make it seem real. Like a... a what is an ephemeri... Ephem ephemeral ephemeral. energy para-resonator? That one. Uh, she goes into ruins and then untangles the traps that they leave, the harmonic traps. Hmm. So this took me a while to untangle, much like a harmonic trap. Yeah. Um, but apparently some years in the future, humanity sends out 
colonists through the curtain, capitalized, uh, to settle on this world of harmony. This world of harmony has like apparently has a dead race of aliens on it, and they're very uh, cold and composed, and no one's ever found like an alien. And it, everything's made out of this like weird emerald glass. It's kind of like that one, the Liza Lockmore type thing, where they're just living in this city, and they've built some buildings of their own. Other people live in these old buildings, and there's like miles and miles and miles of underground catacombs mm-hmm. underneath these cities. Okay. And so it's kind of a neat idea about we're living in the ruins of this other civilization and underneath our feet are all these miles of treasures and discoveries waiting for us and all sorts of stuff. And her job is to go in and diffuse the traps that are waiting for them. So it's like that would be a pretty cool D&D setting or it'd be a pretty cool book for someone who knew what they were doing. And it just feet like and then we get settled on this old-timey, noir kind of detective story uh, as our actual plot focus that doesn't really have anything to do with the world that we live in. Like, uh, uh, it, the main... What ends up being the main MacGuffin is this, like, made-up substance, but that could easily be just... A, it feels, basically, like she wrote a sci-fi book in the short story, maybe. Then she wrote a detective book and was like, oh, I got away. I'm just gonna... Sandwich these two things together. Smash them head first in a car crash. So is this the only book... Are these two, I suppose, like the only books that are set in this world? Up to this point that I know of it. I don't think it listed any future ones. Because I feel like that would make more sense if it was like, this is an already established world from a series. And, and now we're exploring it. Yeah. Yeah, that'd but be fun. But it's not like that? No, you know as far mean? as I know, that's the first Weird. and only like main novel. Uh, but it'd be really cool for like, uh, we're delving deep and we're a mining company or like we're a scavenger company and there's... These traps that we need to defuse or else we go into, like, hallucinogenic shock and everything like that. That'd be pretty neat. And it said it's like uh, one dude was murdered and we have to figure out who the murderer is. And frankly, the chase is not that exciting. And it seems just overcomplicated for the sake of telling you so that you can't say I figured it out on page mm-hmm. six or whatever. Um, but she's hired by a guy named Emmett London, who is apparently handsome. We're not really clued into what he looks like. Character trait yeah, for he us. has a nice back or something. Oh. And uh, he is really good at controlling ghosts. Because it's a useful talent. Yeah, tab. the entire society. It seems like everyone that we meet is one of these two things. I, I I did not know of a single character that was not either a trap tangler like Lydia, who undoes all these traps, or a ghost hunter, which has its own set of bullshit lingo, uh, like Emmett London who they all dress like Indiana Jones and they're uh, organized into these guilds which function like the mob uh, except that Emmett was in charge of his mob back in his original town Resonance instead of Cadence and then there's Harmony to get how this is working Mm -hmm. Um, and so he made the mob go legit and she has a grudge against the mob bosses because a couple of ghost hunters left her underground for two weeks until she found her way out and everyone thought she was going to go crazy but she doesn't because she's a tough old broad so if everyone has these two jobs like who does their taxes and makes their sandwiches at Jimmy John's and like Derek where are the, like, the other people that make the world function? Yeah, Derek. We're never introduced to like dinner or grocery shopping or anything else. The only thing we get uh, are there's a university in okay. the city, uh, which is like only focused on archaeology. And then there's a museum that she works at, which is like full of 
dead people stuff, and then there's relic hunters, and then there's like thiefy weefies and everything like that. Thiefy weefies? No, I just made oh, that up. Okay. I was wondering if you would catch it or not. Um, and so the guy who dies is a thiefy weefy that uh, Lydia once knew but kind of hated because he stole some clients from her or something. Oh, clients for her job as an ephemeral... Yeah, energy, blah, blah, Energy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, uh, so she would take on clients because she got drummed out of the university after they think she went crazy underground. Oh. Well, it... It wants, like... Uh, where they don't do anything with the actual... Here's this really cool world and setting you have actually made... Kudos to you, Jane Ann Castle Krentz, in a cool way. You set it up, and I was kind of eager to know more about this world. I was a little confused by it, and I think the lingo is stupid, uh, and your reliance on frequencies and stuff like that gets a little heavy-handed, but the world's cool. And then you promptly, like I said, trip on your dick and don't do anything about it. You have a character who's apparently friend, even though he like is shitty and like a... I imagined him always with, like, the fingerless gloves, the thiefy weefy with fingerless yeah. gloves, and a top hat with, like, three quarters of the circle popped out, you know? That kind of character, a, a tramp, an urchin. Okay. Who, like, only gets in her way, but she loves him or whatever. So he dies, and she's a major suspect, and then this Emmett London guy hires her to find his cabinet, but secretly his cabinet is going to be in the possession of his nephew, and the nephew's the actual thing he wants to find. But he doesn't think she can find it. He's just using her because he thinks she stole the cabinet originally. And then they want to have sex with each other for some reason immediately. Well, yeah, because uh, it's well, a yeah. romance. Yeah, I know. And it's like, why are we wasting time on this romance? There's ghosts to be busted. Is this one of those books where they just try to cram in as many genres as possible? Not not as bad as the one you read, but pretty bad. Mm. Um, I bet $20 that that nephew is actually a son, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. Uh, it's just, in addition to these plot decisions, there's mm-hmm. questionable writing decisions all over the place. She's looking for a schedule that this dead guy left because he leads, a, like, a trail of clues. Uh, it's trying to be, like, Chinatown or some sort of, like, Maltese Falcon type thing, but it just doesn't. And so the dead man left all these clues, and so uh, the decision-making process around writing it is terrible. Could you find anything, he asked? She she shook her head. His writing is terrible. I don't see a date. Oh, yes, here it is. Last Monday. Oh, glad we immediately solved that problem yeah, that glad, we brought up for sort of no time. reason. I think it's to, like, try and give this, like, reality to conversations because you don't always find everything at the, uh, uh, at the beginning, but it just gets worse. The lock clicked as the key... D- oh, yeah, uh, by the way, everything has to do with, like, this amber... For some reason, the, the, the material amber is something you can focus your psychic waves on because all of humanity okay. gained psychic powers once they went through the, the curtain. Mm-hmm. And so everything is now powered by or activated by amber keys, regular locks, car doors, everything. And I'll talk more about the technology in this world later. The lock clicked as the key briefly disrupted the pattern of its internal resonance. Re- Rose opened the door. Lydia stepped forward to peer into the small locker. Looks like an old duffel bag, she said. She started to reach for it. I'll get it, Emmett said. She got out of his way so that he could hold the small battered canvas bag out of the locker. It was not very heavy. Why did she reach for it? Why was that part in there? 
just seems like there's a lot of fluff in this book. This book was entirely fluff. There's not enough any of it. Uh, The lingo in all of it is pretty terrible. Where everyone has these big jobs. And you know, I know you didn't watch Star Trek, but do you know the trope of Star Trek where they explain stupid science? And it's like science that doesn't make any sense because it's made up Star Trek words. Yeah. And then someone comes along and is like, oh, it's like popping a balloon. And they give like this real layman's term thing to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. There's no one here in this book that's like, it's like popping a balloon. And so it's just like, she focused in on the resonance energy and tried to match its symptoms. And she wanted it to keep from waving back down her line into her amber brain. Or... And you as the reader are just like, oh, yeah, you exactly. go, girl. That's the way that Stay that safe. works. Uh-huh. Stay safe. Uh, on page 291, there's absolutely terrible, stupid lingo. Oh, yeah. So, I'm just going to start, uh, no, I want to cover the technology before I cover the lingo. This was written in 2000, which you can't look into the future, but it does get very embarrassing when you write a sci-fi book that close to the future without it being in the future. And so, everyone has home phones. They've, like projection tvs they're still driving regular cars and using regular locks and everything like that and it's like this future we're on a different planet and everyone has a home phone yeah and you're like <laughs> oh this didn't but age well at everything all. everything is res the res phone the res screen instead of just like tv it's like mm-hmm. man if it's just gonna be a tv call it the screen or the tv you don't have to make everything res res yeah it's I was like, I don't know if, if any books that you ever read were like this, but I feel like there was a very brief phase when everyone wanted to use the, like, lowercase i in front of everything. Oh, yeah, when it was the iPod. Yep. Instead of, yeah, it was like i everything because we're trying to be on brand. It was not good. Yeah, it was kind of gross. Um, iZombie is still a thing. Uh, there's a series where there's... Uh, an orphanage plays a major part because the the main brunt of it is that there's this fantasy material dream stone and it's beautiful and gorgeous. But every time you go to mine it, it crumbles apart. You can't like form it into anything. And so how do people know the, that it's beautiful and gorgeous? Because you like see the vein of it. Oh, and okay. then yeah. Which I don't know why you don't cut around it and then take it out and have a vein of it. Yeah. But uh, Chester, the dead guy, had figured mm-hmm. out a storage... Or, like, he found a place in the catacombs with all the stuff, and that's going to be worth a lot of money, so they kill him to keep the secret. And so, basically, the the tunnels to the Dreamstone is behind an orphanage. It's stupid, because it should be the mafia who does it, but it's not. Anyway, uh, they go to visit this orphanage to, to case the joint, and there's a, a rough teen outside playing Frequency Ball. Oh, no. Frequency ball. What is frequency ball? He's playing not only, he's not only playing frequency ball, he's playing with a frequency ball. Uh, yeah. yeah. That sounds gross. Yep. Uh, then they go back and they figure a couple more things out and they, they know that they're going to have to go to the orphanage. It's been... And stop the kid from playing frequency ball? <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's just call it, just, just call it a ball. Son, put the frequency down. Um... <laughs> Uh, they go back to their headquarters in her weird apartment where they almost bang and then she rejects them again for reasons. Uh, to ma- I feel like the the author flipped a coin and until it came up heads, she wouldn't let them bang because it's ridiculous why we have to watch so many frustrated boners. Um, but they, they settle that they're going to go back to this orphanage and then there's two chapters in which 
I think the author had a different ending in mind, wrote the entire ending, and then it was like, no, that's bad, and went and came back. And it, she deleted one chapter too few, uh. and then like wrote another reason for them to go to the orphanage. Oh. There's like two different chapters in a row that both give two different reasons for why they're going to the orphanage separately. That's not good. That's not good. I didn't understand what the heck was going on. So they get to the orphanage and they get into the catacombs that is hidden behind the orphanage. And so they go and there's like, they find the nephew being trapped because it turns out that the orphanage was using its like street gang hoodlums and luring them away with the promise of like learning how to do the ghost hunter and trip tester wire thing. Okay. uh, And using them for like mostly slave labor, which all right, as far as noir things go, that makes sense. So they find the nephew because he's hidden behind one of the traps that Lydia has to untangle, and also a girl is there. Um, and so then they're on their way back out with him and knowing the, the orphanage's deep, dark secret. Uh, and I'm just going to read it. Um, this might take a while because it's worth it. Emmett recognized one of the two young hunters who had attacked Kelso in the alley behind the Green Wall Tavern. The other was Bob Matthews. If either had an illegal mag res gun, he was too PSI, so psi resed, to use it. The two pounded up the staircase into the gloom of this unlit storage closet. Emmett dashed through the opening after them. The young hunter had already vanished, fleeing out of the shelter office toward the safety of the street. But Matthews moved more slowly. Emmett knew that the other man's senses were probably ba- badly jangled from the experience of having his own ghost turned against him. It hurt when that happened. Really hurt. Emmett caught him, whirled him around, and slammed him up against the nearest file cabinet. Matthew's face tr- twisted with rage and fear. He made a fist and threw a wild punch. Okay. Emmett managed to shift barely enough to avoid taking the blow in the groin. Um, How does a wild punch connect with your groin? Unless- I, yeah. Hey. No playing odd job on this map. Come on. It caught him on his side, however, and it sent him reeling backward. So you shifted downward? You squatted to get caught in the side? Yeah. Yeah, this entire book is kind of like that. This is my favorite part in the whole book. We've read two sex scenes at this point, and although they're not necessarily explicit, there there's one point that uh, he forges into her. And, like, he's filling her up. And oh, that, that's such a gross word to use. And that... Forges? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that sort of language where it's not necessarily swear words, but it's, like, very, like, holy cow. Graphic. Yeah, yeah. graphic. So, we've read two of those. Matthew's closed in quickly, carrying them both to the floor. Matthew what? Matthew's closed in quickly, carrying them both of them to the floor. I just love this paragraph so absolutely much. Son of a bitch, Matthews roared, straddling Emmett. He shoved his hand into his jacket. When he pulled it out, a knife gleamed in his fist. Oh no, he's going to kill him. Stuff is getting serious. Yeah. Son of a bitch, we almost had it all, you freaking SOB. (laughs) Why is that the thing that you... You fargan ice hole. What? Oh, no, he doesn't say that. Uh, That's from a movie. But, like, you freaking SOB. The thing is that this dude was, like, halfway sleeping with the woman who who I was led to believe was, like, an old lady. uh, With the woman who led the orphanage and is training the kids to do the slave labor. And he, when they go to visit, he put on this, like, friendly gym teacher face. Mm -hmm. And so I am honestly confused and puzzled as to which I would like more. 
number one, that the author just, like, refused to use swear words. Yeah, that's Especially, pretty cute. Well, the thing is that son of a bitch and then saying SOB. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe she was, she meant to do it, like, AP style where you spell it out the first time <laughs> and then you put the abbreviation or the um, initialization yes. in parentheses. Yeah. Uh, there's either that, that the author won't swear, or that this is an intentional character choice and that the guy, even at his murderousness, was still like, hey, you freaking SOB. How dare you? I can't say the F word because I don't want There's to upset kids my around. mother. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to continue on. I'm sorry. I just want you to get... This is like the climactic scene, so spoiler alert. Emmett grabbed Matthew's knife arm at the wrist. Matthew's yelled again and dropped the knife point first straight towards Emmett's left eye. Emmett whipped his head to the side, heard the blade clatter to the floor be- beside his ear. He jerked hard and forced Matthew's off him. Nice. The physics of this is terrible confusing yeah there was a sharp thud emmett felt the jolt of the impact and realized that the other man had struck his head against the corner of a cabinet matthew slumped and went still he's not dead okay two figures dressed in stained rags that reeked of spilled alcohol materialized in the storage closet doorway that connected to the outer office emmett gave them a sour glance as he got to his feet where the hell have you two been he asked Sorry we're a little late, boss, Ray Dervini said cheerfully. We ran into a little trouble outside. The woman set an illusion trap at the front door after you and your lady friend went inside. Damnedest thing you ever saw, Henry Adler added. Didn't you think you could set one of those babies above ground? No. It is page 292. There are 315 pages in this Mm -hmm. book. I have no idea who either of these people are. (laughs) This is the first I have heard of either of them. Does this conversation, like, is this conversation integral to the plot at all? No, it's that they were delayed. But, like... Why did they show up? Yeah, so, why? So that why later, is this happening? So that later the ma- the female protagonist can be mad that he didn't tell her he was getting backup. Oh, she's. Okay. It's just, like, stupid. Uh, Emmett, Lydia said urgently, we've got a problem. Sylvia, Quinn shouted. She's got Sylvia. That's the, the two teenagers are Quinn and Sylvia. Emmett swung around. He saw Lydia standing on top of the staircase next to Quinn. Both were peering through the opening. Let her go, Lydia shouted. Emmett went to where the others were gazing down at the green staircase. He saw Helen Vickers at the bottom. She was not alone. She held a mag gun to Sylvia's head. He wondered how she'd gotten her hands on one. Uh, so... Where the hell did she come from? Emmett muttered. She was hiding in the shadows of the staircase, Lydia said quietly. She grabbed Sylvia while you were dealing with Matthews. She's just kind of just back there. I also feel like this is a classic example of, like, they didn't, sh- like, they didn't show us that any of this happened, so now we have to have yeah, it's like they didn't have the to the exposition. Oh, the, you know, like, the wind-down exposition that's typical of, like, mystery novels? Yeah. Uh, that is just like, oh, here's everything that ever happened. And you're like, I would have enjoyed you showing me some of it. I know, that's the worst part. Although sometimes with these terrible book books, terrible books, um, it's nice because you're like, oh, I didn't catch literally any of that the first time around. So I'm, I'm glad you're letting me know what happened in this garbage book that I just finished. Yeah. Thank you for sparing me that. Yeah. Uh, and so the, now the case is solved and they have to rectify their personal involvement. Oh. She was so outraged. She's mad that he didn't tell her about things. Okay. And they're not actually like, 
He made a pl- he made plans that worked out. Are they were they like how together are they? Not at all. They bang twice. And oh, okay. Both times. She so would... no, she doesn't need. He well, doesn't need to tell her a whole lot. She, they're partners. She says, oh. she was so outraged she could hardly catch her breath. You came to me, remember? You claimed you wanted to hire me, but all along you thought I'd stolen from your stupid family heirloom, and then you had the gall to seduce me. He was on his feet, reaching for her before she realized what was happening. His hands clamped around her arms. He called her off the lounger as though she were weightless. Out of the corner of her eye, she glimpsed the little burst of wild ghost energy flickers. Fuzz, the dust bunny native animal thing. Oh, yeah, that yeah. guy. No, they refer to them as dust bunnies. D- That's tumbled weird. discreetly off her shoulder and vanished into the apartment. So thanks for the guard dog. See you. There seems to be a misunderstanding here, Emmett said, his voice dangerously soft. I could have sworn that you were the one who seduced me. Mm-hmm. How dare you imply that I, that you use sex to manipulate me? That's not true and you know it. Yeah, then why did you seduce me? I did not seduce you, she stormed. What would you call it? We had sex, okay? It happens sometimes between two people who, she broke up unable to finish. Between two people who are attracted to each other, he suggested, is that what you're going to say? Why isn't the book over? <laughs> Yeah, why are they having that conversation? Also, like, if you bone, you're probably attracted to each other. Why does that have to be a thing that we acknowledge? Yeah. Anyway, that's that's uh, After Dark, not Harmony, because Harmony is the name for the collection. Uh, the, the novel that is the worst fine book I've ever read. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Bridal Jitters, uh, which I read exactly enough of that I needed to. Uh, the beginning is even more non-sequitur than the first one. Instead of a murder scene, they're at an engagement slash Halloween party. Oh, those often go together. Yes. Uh, to be fair, the, the main character calls it out and be like, why are we having this? This is stupid. Uh, but they're getting married for a marriage of convenience because uh, in Harmony, you can get married a marriage of convenience or a something else marriage where it's like the marriage that actually matters and you might have kids is the second one. Whereas the marriage for all the other societal pressures that people put on people to get married, you can just get married of convenience to, and get away with not actually getting for real married. Which is like, no, that doesn't make any sense because then you just be pressured to get for real married. Yeah. Right. Why do we have to add a second marriage step in there? Yeah. Um, it takes place in the same world. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um... But, since it's a Halloween party, this, I will explain it thusly. This is an ancient alien city, mainly marked by ruins and catacombs, on Halloween night. Some spooky stuff. Some spooky stuff, some exciting adventure, dive deep into the tombs with Indiana Bones and everybody else, and it's a fun time. No, we're talking about marriage and how we don't know if we actually want to get married or not. It's like, oh my god, why did you go... Whatever. I feel like it doesn't make any sense that she went through all the work of creating this really intricate, cool-sounding world and then wrote lame stories for it. The lamest of stories. Forget it. Forget it, Jake. It's Resonance Town. I don't know. It's dumb. That's Bibliovel. Good night. The end. Night, Matt. No, not really. We gotta do plugs. Um, that is all I have for my book. Next week, we will be doing the sequels episode. I have not yet figured it out. I've narrowed it down. Do you know what sequel you're getting me, or what book series you're getting me a sequel or prequel to? I've narrowed it down to two. Mm. You are either going to be reading the sequel to, and the library only has one of them. I'm kind of ticked about that. You're going to be reading the sequel to Dead Girls Are Easy by Terry Gary. Mm, Very scary. 
or you're going to be reading another book, either a prequel or a sequel from the Crimson Veil series, because that was the most fun I've ever had in Bibliophile. Nice. Um, you, I've also narrowed it down to you're either going to be reading Grim Spaces sequel. The one about... No, not can, the Grimrose Path. Not that, Grimrose Path. Is that the Path. same thing? No. Grim Space is a different thing. That's the sci-fi book with the oh, D&D okay. okay. You're going to be reading a sequel to that or a sequel to the Coney Island Bombay book with the assassin family. The sequels? Oh, yeah. I don't think that was the I first nor the, last. I thought the assassins thing was over. Yeah, well, we'll find out, huh? <gasps> Anyway, that is in two weeks, which is when it'll be March. March 16th is when that podcast will come out. I'm so excited. Until then, you can read our blogs at opinionsandother.blogspot.com. We also release a written uh, version of these blog posts. You can follow Twitter on you can follow Twitter on Susan. Or you could eat more easily follow Susan on Twitter at at Susan J. That's S-U-U-U-S-A-N-J. Uh, and you can find me at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. Feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. Um, if you found this episode on Twitter... Give it the old retweet. <gasps> the retweet? Does that button still exist on Twitter? Mm. I don't even know. Nothing makes us happier than a retweet of Bibliobile. So go yeah. ahead. Make our day. Just do it. Uh, one thing, quick, one quick shout out I want to attract your attention to is I have a, a good friend, both professional and we invited to him our wedding, I suppose. Uh, his name is Dr. Chris Kowalski. And he informed me today, uh, not even knowing that I had a podcast that he had started on. And uh, this man is one of the most naturally interesting men you could possibly meet. And he has a skill for cultivating interesting friends. Uh, And so he has a podcast called Long Story Short. Uh, You can find that by searching Long Story Short Kowalski. Usually takes it to you. It's the one with the Polish flag. He has a lot of interesting friends and he just kind of talks to them. And they're both usually super duper interesting. Uh, And if you enjoy the, the jokes that Susan doesn't get on this podcast you will probably very much enjoy that one. So I suggest you go check that out. Uh, it's on iTunes as well as SoundCloud. Uh, apparently he's already got sponsors, and so we're uh, going to create a podcast network empire because he is just the networking pro. Mm-hmm, pretty much. Um, the intro music for our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of our al- off of their album, Rampant. Um, check out their stuff on YouTube. And have a good night, Matt. Yeah, um, if anybody else wants to suggest outro music for us, Susan's into the idea of outro music. So if you think you have a good fitting outro song, uh, we'd love to hear it. Now, finally, Matt, you may have a good night. Good night, Dave. No, I don't know.